really can really put us to start again. As, uh, as Hazel has just explained, we're making um, an audio digital recording of the meeting. This is fairly new to Frodsham Town Council. We started recording our committee meetings and full council meetings, but please bear with us because we're still getting used <coughs> to the technology. Um, hopefully the, our podcasts have proved uh, fairly good. Um, it would be helpful if anybody is going to get up and speak, if they give the names first before they start speaking, just to help people are going to listen back to this. Um, is anybody going to make a, a video recording of the meeting? Yeah. I'm trying on the phone. Okay, that's fine. Just so that people know that they're being recorded. Um, I presume that nobody in the room has a problem with that. Okay. <coughs> Right, uh, well, the agenda really is going to be set aside for tonight. Um, we need more people here before we can appoint a chair. I'm happy to chair in the, in the interim. Uh, the, so moving to the second item on our agenda is to hand over to INEOS for their presentation. I'm sorry, I've forgotten your name. What was it? This is Tom Pickering from INEOS. Over to you, Tom. Can I ask them, I obviously was told 20 minutes and 10 minutes Q&A, can I ask just what your timings are this evening then, just, just for my own? Well, that's, that stays the same, but we, they might allow a little longer for Q&A if people want to. So, you, you, so you, you'd like me out by 8 o'clock, is that your plan? Big no, that's fine, that's fine, I just, you know, yeah. I just, just so I'm clear of what yeah. I'm giving back to, to say. Well, good evening. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation to speak uh, tonight at Frodsham uh, Unconventional uh, Gas Group. I um, appreciate the invitation to speak. The subject that I'm going to cover uh, is pretty broad uh, in the various aspects. And so I hope that uh, whilst I recognise that there are people in the room who hold a different view to, to my own and to, to any else's that I represent, uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to speak. Um, I've been along and spoken over the last couple of years in various events here in Frodsham and um, I, uh, I, I will keep coming back and keep addressing uh, the points that uh, you, you want to out of these meetings. So that, that invitation um, to, to really make ourselves uh, open and, and uh, come along and address different points to the committee, please, please do take us up on that. Um, my own role, I'm Operations Director, I'm responsible for uh, the drilling, the seismic, um, and the operations side of our business right, right the way through. I'm joined um, by my colleagues uh, Ray and uh, Gordon, who support in uh, our community relations uh, and, uh, and operations side of the business as well. So Gordon, uh, week to week, um, is out and about in various license areas that we've got, liaising with community groups, establishing community liaison groups where they're useful and our operations are happening currently uh, and again just another point of contact beyond just myself. Can I just check, I have a habit when I'm speaking that my voice drops off. If at any point you can't hear me, please just wave at me from the back and I'll, I'll lift my voice. Um, and equally if you're sitting there, just wave at me and I'll try and keep out of the way of uh, the presentation screen. Gordon, you can come up. So really, um, the UK has a, a long history of um, geological activities uh, in these areas and in some of the areas um, 
most of the ones on, on the map here, there is some former history of um, petroleum within the geology, so gas within other uh, rock strata that has been uh, produced. So our interest uh, as a company has been to uh, establish ourselves in government-granted licenses within uh, these areas. So this area is known as the Boland and Rosendale Shale. This area is known as the Gainsborough Trough and the Welbeck Low for, for anybody interested in geology of the UK. And this area uh, is known as the Cleveland uh, geology in, in Yorkshire. They, they all have some history of uh, gas production in, in this area. Uh, the Liverpool Bay out, uh, has gas production in this area uh, in the 1950s. Uh, this produced oil, uh, and in fact just before the 1950s in the war, um, it, it produced oil that was used and refined um, for uh, the, the RAF. And then the area up here has uh, producing conventional gas fields uh, currently today. So, so there is that setting, and just so that people understand why then have our efforts been focused on theirs, principally because that geology has a, a level of interest and prospectivity to, to people exploring and uh, seeking to produce. Ne next slide, please. That takes us down the, the um, blue and the orange um, represents who is the operator of the license that the government has granted. And you can have multiple parties in the license, but only one of them is the party operating the license. And when I mean that, uh, or I say that, I mean the party that is conducting land negotiations, uh, operations on the ground, basically the face uh, of the company face of the operation uh, in that area. So where it is marked orange, that's a company called iGas, but we are partners with iGas, we're just not the operator, so you'd expect to see iGas operating and conducting the conversation. So for anybody who falls within uh, those areas, you know, obviously Frodham up here, but um, to the left, um, then, then iGas uh, and their, their uh, community relations team are the right people to speak to within that area. So it's not appropriate for me to come and speak to what they're doing there. Very happy to, to encourage them to come and also speak with the committee. But what's appropriate is I speak to the piece that INEOS manage uh, and what we're doing. So that's what I'm going to concentrate uh, in when, when I speak to them. The ne next slide then is just to uh, bring it right down uh, into plain view. Uh, so just here, uh, and that gives you some idea of where it sits uh, within that license area. Next slide, please go on. So I think, look, we, the, the shale, shale gas, as it's termed, or fracking, it, it is methane, natural gas, derived from shale geology, from the shale rock. And, um, but it is the same natural gas that, uh, in chemical form that we've enjoyed from the North Sea and use in our homes. So I think, um, you know, we, we um, what I'm going to try and address in this presentation is what we use gas for, how we use it as a nation, how we use it as a company. Um, I'm going to speak to what does that development process look like, how, um, I, I guess, the media would have you believe that tomorrow it's a done deal and you're progressing into development. And I want to try and cover some of the aspects of uh, incremental science that has to be done in that process. I want to try and address some of the issues that come up if you put shale gas or fracking into Google uh, and try and speak to some of those. There are, there are quite a number. It's uh, an industrial process with a, a myriad of different uh, working components 
which is why I make the offer to come back time and time again to address each of them at the different stages um, as they come along. But I'll try and cover some of the big ones and, and equally uh, the Q&A this evening. Um, and, and equally, I would like to point people to some uh, other papers that speak to the risks, the hazards, how they're managed, how the regulatory backdrop, how people training against all other industries that we have operating in the UK. How do we manage and control these things day to day? Next uh, slide, please. So really, um, the principal picture to paint is that we have enjoyed, 10 years ago, we enjoyed 100% um, of our domestic gas supplied to us from the Southern and uh, North Sea. That has been in decline over the last 10 years, such that we are no longer, uh, we, we used to produce more than our own needs, so we exported it. Um, we now have to import more than 50% uh, of our gas, and that uh, picture speaks uh, to itself. So we're becoming, we're still using gas, we're becoming uh, heavily reliant uh, on others, and that has various uh, reasons. So, next slide, please. What one other area I'd ask you to go and you know, look and, and, and pick around is the energy usage in our country at the moment. One of a, a useful website is Gridwatch. I'd encourage you to just Google Gridwatch and it'll take you to a minute-by-minute real-time picture of how the UK is using energy and, and where that energy is being supplied from. So you'll see demand from the nation, you'll see what is being supplied by coal and we're phasing out coal as a uh, as a nation. Um, we've got nuclear, but um, nuclear to our, our plants all we haven't yet um, started building for, for electricity provision. The CCGT means uh, combined cycle gas turbines, and then wind, and then the what uh, our current suite of renewables provides for us. Wind at any one point can get up to about 30%, but if you follow this and you can actually download uh, some of the Excel sheets of historic data, you can see where, um, when the wind isn't blowing, the sun isn't shining, where the slack is picked up in the system, and currently it's from the gas turbines uh, that we have. So that's what keeps uh, our, our lights on, and that's what gives us uh, the base load power for industry, the 24-hour provision that we need in society, uh, for some aspects of society at least, uh, and, and that is you know, the basis on which that's derived. So again, something for people to go and look at after this. <coughs> Next slide, please. So I think 84% you know, of our homes um, rely on natural gas for heating. Our infrastructure in the UK is geared around gas transportation. Our homes have uh, gas boilers uh, in them. But it's also important just to recognise that Gas, um, where it has uh, what's termed wet components, ethane, uh, beyond methane, ethane, uh, butane, propane, uh, are used as a chemical feedstock by which we can make plastics or base chemical uh, products. So it, it fulfills a very um, you know, underpinning uh, function within society of the way we make the smartphones and the things we hold. And I think we, what I would also ask is where, where others um, present a different view on, on this. The technologies that are used in renewables are based on oil and gas materials uh, derived from chemicals in oil and gas and the plastics as well. 
And we, we, we have a gap at the moment. The renewables that we have do not paint the base load picture that we require. And so there is a gap at the moment. We have to think very carefully about how we fill that, how, you know, what, what we do over the period that technologies move to addressing a renewables piece. So I really would speak to this actually not being uh, a renewables versus a fossil fuels argument, but rather a weighing up of the choices that we, we have. Ne next slide, please. So just to try and paint a picture, if I spoke to Roncom uh, as one of our plants and businesses locally, that business produces the chlorine that treats 98% of the UK's drinking water, and it, to, to do so, it uses the same amount of power as Liverpool uh, every day. So the choices we make about basic sanitation uh, is, is quite clear. If I pick our Grangemouth facility in Scotland that, that uh, both makes fuels in the refinery but also plastics and ethylene that feeds our other units in Hull, you're using, to get the plastics we use in our base manufacturing industries to um, deliver the fuels that the north of England, Scotland and Northern Ireland uses in the vehicles and, and motor transportation, we're using the same amount of power as Edinburgh, Glasgow and Aberdeen combined to make those. And, and that is on a 365 days a year, 24 hour uh, basis that, in order to deliver those uh, products. I can also speak to, I've mentioned, you know, we, we supply in materials these to the clothing we wear, um, the, the cables uh, and the smartphone and the computer technology, and, and indeed the plastics technologies, you know, the, the Boeing Dreamliner, uh, ostensibly the world's first plastic aircraft, but made from gas-based derived uh, plastics technologies. So lighter, more fuel efficient, still meets our desire to travel but addresses you know, some of these things. So there, there are balances in the technology uh, and the manner in which we, we use it. Next slide, please go. So some of the arguments I'd ask you to consider and ask the committee to consider uh, as it thinks about these things, but the, the, the aspect of supply, we're importing more than 50%. Um, some of that we get from Norway, some of it we get from the wider Europe and the Russian inter interconnector. Um, and um, some we get from Qatar. Um, we, we're importing that and, and that puts us at a security supply disadvantage. Some people um, will have, have a different view on, on how risky or not that is, but it is an element uh, to consider. Climate change, um, to speak to burning gas versus uh, burning coal, there's a clear uh, CO2 win, your reduction uh, in the CO2 production, um, and, and that's demonstrable you know, in, in, in that sense. And the other um, piece is we've enjoyed as a nation revenue from the Southern North Sea and the North Sea to the Exchequer um, you know, through the uh, taxation at the successful production end. Um, so that, that same 50% taxation of revenue um, applies uh, to, to our business and it, it, it would go into uh, Treasury uh, as well. So the, the other piece is just economics. At the moment as a nation we're writing out a cheque to other nations um, to, to bring the gas that we need for homes and for industry and, and that puts us at a disadvantage. We pay more for that product uh, and actually we're writing a cheque out the way. So again, just a, another component to consider. 
The final piece that I, I would uh, speak to is that we are, if we're satisfied that we're willing to import over 50% of our methane requirements, and, and we as a business also import ethane, but if we say that we're satisfied to import it, then you know, we, we are negating um, uh, and, and passing on the responsibility to another nation to develop that resource and supply it to us. And we, we have no control nor exhibit any leadership over the manner in which we develop and handle uh, an industry and instead leave uh, them to their own environmental standards and their own workforce practice. But I, those are the types of things at a, at a very high level uh, I would ask you to consider. The next uh, slide, please. So in terms of actually what are you likely to see us doing? Um, well, we have quite a number of license areas. Some of those license areas are more progressed than others. So if you like the, um, the data from former coal board days or from former oil and gas production lends itself um, much more to an understanding of the geology and also the petroleum. So we're able to, in the East Midlands or in North Yorkshire, progress to um, vertical cord sample wells to actually take samples of the geology, understand the gas content, composition, and the different uh, geological dynamics. In this area, there is um, clearly a picture of geology that goes back to fire clay, some coal uh, in the past, and also the salt uh, activities uh, in the area. So there is a picture of geology, but it's not as pronounced in terms of the amount of uh, 3D seismic as a principal thing. So we get we buy old coal board 3D seismic from the coal authority from British Geological Survey and use that. So in this area, um, our particular efforts are working on this side of things, and we've, we've, we've been doing that for some time because it helps us decide where we're going to locate that 3D seismic, I'll speak a little bit more to that, but 3D is like a, a basically an MRI picture of, of the underground and, and gives us a layered picture of the geology. <coughs> that then helps us identify where we would want to locate a site and just drill a vertical well to sample the geology, no fracking in that well, um, but taking a sample, drilling down through the sections of geology that we've identified and, and then um, using the co combination of the 3D data and the um, vertical core data, that physical sample, that then would allow us to then um, have married those and, and progress to a planning application and a site to ask to be able to drill a horizontal well and to, to frack that uh, well and attempt to flow uh, commercially from, from the reservoir. At any one of these stages, you know, there are different factors, maybe the, the complete absence of gas or insufficient presence of gas within the geology, um, or the, the geology when you take the MRI picture of it is too fractured. There are many components that um, are building up in our own picture and understanding as you move through those different aspects, both technically, commercially, and environmentally. And that's the, the piece of sitting down with a, a group to sit community group and just saying that this is what we're doing, this is its purpose, this was what it provides for us, that's what we, we would like to be able to do. It is all in pursuit of um, flow testing, fracking and flow testing, <coughs> well, but only if we're satisfied that those three criteria uh, of safety and environment uh, and the technical commercial aspects um, are, are met. 
Next, so, so it just really gives you some idea actually of the time scale in this area. So that, that is what my team are working to. I don't anticipate that to, to change radically, uh, but if it does, I'll communicate that to, to the group. Next slide, please. So in terms of seismic, we, IGAS actually undertook a, a seismic survey, I think probably some of the uh, resident in the village, they, we were involved in that survey in terms of a paying and investing partner. Um, there are different ways we can put, uh, when we're listening, we put little uh, geophones out that listen to the signal that is coming back. Where the ground is hard and very, you know, bedrock is very close, we use a a vibration signal that goes down into the ground and we retrieve the signal that comes up into little boxes. Where there's very spongy soft soil and it's difficult to get a signal into the ground, we drill a, uh, a borehole down to about 10 feet, we put a half kilogram to a kilogram charge depending on what it's required uh, and, and we put off a, a shock signal which is what we did um, 117 square kilometres of uh, a couple of years ago, our, our gas did on uh, in partnership uh, with us, and, and we take a picture that looks uh, something like this. The other type that you might see us do is a single line through an area, and that just gives us, if you like, that gives us the entire picture of the chocolate cake, uh, by layer by layer and, and by volume. This uh, 2D line just straight through an area gives you a two-dimensional plane, as if you chopped through the chocolate cake and we're just looking at the chocolate sponge, the chocolate sponge. Next slide, please. So once you have that picture, it shows you the natural stresses and strains, the fractures and faults within the Georgian, and provides a, a very good base picture. Um, the next piece is actually physically calibrate. So you drill vertically down, and as you drill down through, you're picking up the different areas of interest. We run uh, various tools in those wells to look for uh, pressure, to look for the temperature, and understand that. Uh, and also we core it, so we, we use it a bit like coring an apple. You core the geology and you retrieve it to surface and you're able to put those samples into canisters and start to uh, look at the science of the mineralogy, the natural fracture system and its different characteristics. So that, that's a rig in Pennsylvania. Um, there are different images shown uh, of US practice. Some show you very stark desert conditions in Texas. Um, but the reality is there are lots of different landscapes in the United States. Some are very akin to here, uh, others are not. Some practices simply uh, will not translate to the UK landscape. There are other areas just outside Pittsburgh where you know, this has been done well uh, in uh, rural uh, agricultural setting and producing every day. And in fact, this site um, is where Ineos brings ethane uh, to Scotland and to Norway by ship uh, and then cracks it to make plastics here in, in Europe. So this was actually out on a visit there looking at what we were doing. But that's the drilling rig. It's there for a period. Uh, in the early days of doing science, it'll be on site for about uh, 30 days. In um, later stages where you were drilling a horizontal and it was past the science stage, you'd expect uh, those wells to be taking about 25 to 30 days uh, once you stop doing the science in, in the wells. Ne next slide, please. This is a um, frack spread. Um, when, you when you eventually get to drilling a horizontal and you undertake a hydraulic fracture uh, stimulation, then this is the, these are the trucks that line up. They take about uh, three or four days to set up. 
about a day and a half to undertake the, the frac uh, stimulation, and then the trucks pack up and they leave. So all in all, about a week, and that opens up the natural fissures underground within that geology down uh, in this area past 8,000 feet. But it is um, from that geology then that you're, um, you're producing. So that, that would be on site. We have, um, as a company separate to this business that I represent, but we have set up our own contracting services business uh, and brought, bought this equipment uh, and brought it to the UK um, so that uh, in time we have uh, the right equipment uh, available to us technically. Next, uh, next slide, please. There, thereafter, a site is reduced down in, in size. You'd expect, we don't know, because one of the things that the geology will tell you through time is how many wells would one site require, and indeed, how many sites would you require. But we've done uh, work to look at analogous geology in the US at the moment, which helps guide some of the facts and figures I would give you. But as you work with a, today, but as you work with a group, as we gather that science and it starts to tell us more accurately the characteristics, then that's the, the type of thing we can explain what we're seeing and, and, and what it means in practical terms. But you'd see a site reduced down to uh, a small size, um, somewhere you know, between 8, 12 wells uh, on a site. Um, but at the moment, you know, really how many have been needed is unknown. Um, but that, that's our estimate. Ne next slide, please. This is a site, um, I wonder if anybody in the room recognises it. I suppose I, I recognise some faces that have seen the presentations before. But it's a site near Warrington, uh, Door Green. It was an attempt uh, by iGas. We've inherited that site through one of the acquisitions that we've done. So we're now operating it. It has four. Uh, gas wells on it, and actually where this picture is uh, blanked out, it has a small electrical generation scheme which is only required in, in a um, proof of concept. So if, if it were only a uh, producing site with infrastructure to gather the gas, then that's what you'd expect it to look like. It's not a shale site, it's um, an attempt at coal bed methane to produce gas uh, from those coal seams, um, and it does so today, uh, generates a small amount of uh, electricity. Next slide, please. Go and, and this just gives you some idea within the planning consent, the screening that's put in place, you know, how the visual uh, impact can be uh, dealt with. Next slide, please. The, the next piece then is, I'm often uh, asked about the intensity of drilling pads uh, in the United States. And this uh, picture is taken from the Jonah Field in Wyoming where they use a very intensive vertical well um, uh, uh, means of accessing. So it means many, many sites and um, a very intensive picture. Actually not the picture that you would get if you looked at the uh, areas of Pennsylvania that have been developed now uh, in terms of intensity. But just to put that, this is about an 11 and a half square kilometer area. We think, just to give you an idea of what those red dots are, that's the White Leaves Wind Farm in Glasgow, uh, and the, each of those individual triangles represents the, um, the site that a wind turbine is located on. We think currently, against what we know, that in order to evacuate the gas and the energy that that represents from an 11 and a half square kilometer area, you'd be looking at two sites, um, the yellow uh, squares uh, at surface, each with that uh, 8 to 12 wells potentially on, on site. So that's just 
what we, we gauge at the moment from our, our own thinking. Ne next slide. So there, there are uh, a number of objections that I'll try and address some of the main ones now in the presentation. Going, please. Um, fossil fuels are bad for the climate. Actually, understanding the characteristics of different fossil fuels and how they've been used. Uh, one of the principal issues of shale is not the burning of methane, but rather in the United States, the handling of methane in both oil-rich fields where they burnt the gas in order to access the oil because there was no infrastructure to evacuate the oil or because of the way in which the US licensing system works very small operators have invested as cheaply as possible against a very uh, poor regulatory backdrop and the pipelines are not to the sort of integrity standards that you would require uh, and so there's methane leakage which they're now having to uh, address and, and strip out pipelines and, uh, and fix in this country, our pipeline inspector at the HSC you know, give you some idea we're uh, to you know, what 84% of our homes receiving gas by pipeline. Um, yes, we do experience losses of those, of course, but actually they are uh, minimal in the scale of transportation, and we, we accept that as part of what we're doing. But it's important to get that US backdrop. The other piece is, rather than me speak to it, um, Friends of the Earth, um, who clearly voice an opposition to, to shale gas development, uh, submitted their view of a go green scenario to DEC, to the Department of Energy and Climate Change, and they paint a picture in this country of gas being required, methane being required, in homes and industry till 2040, uh, and as paint a picture of it as being part of a transition uh, to a uh, lower CO2. So that, that's, uh, it's called the Pathways Calculator. You feel free to go and Google that uh, and look at it, but obviously uh, a very uh, different view counter to, to maybe what you listen to me. Um, the next uh, slide, please, Gordon. So I think, you know, really just to, to say that we, we need um, a variety in our energy mix for physics, um, for provision, uh, and for meeting some of the environmental standards we need, and also for driving technology on in, in other areas uh, to get to um, uh, storage uh, of energy so that we can use it in, in times where it's not in supply. But we're not there yet, and actually anybody that stands up, uh, if, if the committee is um, asking others to speak, I would ask you to ask them to articulate how it is today against Gridwatch and our national demand uh, they would provide for uh, the things that we, we want and need uh, around us in, in terms of base energy because we're not, that gap is, is not closed by renewables technology today. Uh, at least I, I would advocate that it is not uh, and, and the technology particularly on the storage end uh, is not there to, to allow us to do that. So please you know, dig, dig around that detail and the consumption uh, that we have. Next, next slide please. The, you know, I think I've, I've probably spoken to this, but we, we, we're, as a nation, that we, we're forecasting at the moment that we will increase uh, to importing more than 80%, around 80% uh, of our natural gas by 2035, uh, 2040 period. So we, we're still going to be using this, the, you know, we, we, we have to think, I, I think, where it is coming from and, and way up the relative benefits of uh, gas in, in, in its merits in that sense. Next slide, please. 
Um, so fracking risks water contamination and uses cancer-causing chemicals. Okay, the first piece I would speak to is water contamination. When, when we speak about water contamination, if you look at the papers that have been produced in the United States and actually look at the different industrial risks and issues and breaches and failures that have occurred, they've occurred in three categories. One is the underground, so um, if a well bore has failed and there has been a pollution of uh, water aquifer, in reality, many of the, you know, the papers, there are very few examples of um, subsurface water aquifer contamination, so those water aquifers contained within the rock. The next, but I, I'll, I'll speak to that in a second, the next category is then the, the manner in which site operations are conducted and sites are built and contained. And there are far more examples of where poor civil engineering, lack of civil engineering, lack of bunding, membranes, uh, or tankage has resulted in water um, getting into soil aquifer or near surface uh, aquifer or indeed um, static or moving water body courses. Why? Because there haven't been any bunds, because there hasn't been any uh, membranes, sealed membranes, because actually in some of those areas like that picture in Wyoming I showed you, they dug open pits without lining, put water in them, uh, and of course what did it do? It leached uh, and, or it transmitted to um, water body courses. So, you know, it's, it's like many of the other things we manage around us, be it petrol in forecourt and in tankage, be it industrial chemicals that we use around us, be it, um, you know, the, 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 the things we contain in our, our own homes. The, it's about the practice and the regulation and the training and the labels, it's, it's about putting in place the barriers that prevent that, that hazard. And, and I would contend that we have a very different set of regulations here in the UK built up around the North Sea and our onshore practice that seek to prevent and put those barriers in place between the hazard. The last area of risk, the three categories that I always try to speak to, is the third is the supply chain, where either poor trucking contracts poor standards of waste management uh, and treatment back to the standards agreed, or indeed standards weren't agreed, um, are, are those present um, in, in that category. So though principally if you were looking at water contamination, it's that site and supply chain that are very important to, that they're regulated and, and done properly. Borehole construction, actually, the principal reason that you would determine within any of the papers is the manner in which integrity was checked. Not all boreholes, uh, or not all states in the US require borehole integrity to be checked phase by phase by phase. UK legislation that has been around for 30 plus years requires us to undertake a pressure test at each uh, drilling section point to achieve uh, that integrity. So it's quite important just to get that picture. The other piece is the fluids and chemicals that you use to drill through the, the um, aquifers in, in the rock, uh, in the near surface rock, because actually we drill water wells as a, as a country every day into these water aquifers using chemicals. And what has been set out by our environment agency is that the chemicals or drilling fluids that would be allowed to be used under permit, transparently put out for public record in the UK, would be required to be non-hazardous by EU classification, which is just 
an important point that not all of the chemicals and drilling fluids used in the United States um, were held to that regulatory standard. So it's just another part of the checks and balance uh, that exist. Um, Cancer-causing chemicals, well, any, potentially any uh, chemical in concentration has different consequences, be it uh, poisonous, be it uh, harmful in you know, cancerogenic uh, implications. It's how it is stored, how it's managed, how it's diluted, where it is used, and, and how it's monitored. And I think one of the aspects that's been missing in the United States is that in the very early days, companies did not uh, talk about what they were using because they saw that as a commercial advantage against others. Actually, and that's because they get very small sections of license. So if they prove an area works, they want to get out and build their position based on the achievement that they've just made. Whereas in the UK, we give out, the government gives out these licenses for what is a national resource on a much wider basis. So there isn't that uh, element of uh, commercial competition and the, the building of a business, if you like. So we will be required to set out exactly what we're using. What we use through the different stages is dependent on what we're doing in terms of drilling and be it fracking. And it will also be determined by the mineralogy of what we gather in those early vertical wells. So that science helps us then determine what are the chemicals that we would be using in what quantity and how to try and uh, flow gas um, from the shale. Next slide, please. So I, I probably um, covered this, but just to, to speak to the North Sea, um, we've got many wells, we've got many wells in the UK uh, onshore. The, beyond just the planning regime, so every application for a drill site or site that would be involved in drilling and fracking requires to go through the planning system and is determined in, in that way. But we, you know, we, we also have different regulatory bodies in terms of the uh, health and safety in Aberdeen. We have a specialist engineering department who vets uh, our engineering designs. We also have, separate to them, a, an independent engineer before it goes to the health and safety called the well verification, looks at our design assumptions, looks at our operational planning and comments on, on those. So there is that check and finally they're signed off by the Oil and Gas Authority as one final check. So there are very measured steps in, in terms of things that we have to present and, and demonstrate that we've considered in the engineering. Next slide. Sorry, I covered this point. One of the uh, can you go back one, please? Um, the one of the points that's often asked is this: um, that the images that are shown of fracking happening three feet beneath your floorboards, when the reality is the shale geology that is prospective in this area is 8,000 feet or deeper. Um, that's where the gas is being produced from, and actually, other than well bore failure, where there's been a failure to put in place the engineering that ensures integrity, there aren't any examples of um, fluid migration uh, through strata to surface um, in the US. And it's important that I would encourage you to look at each of these different engineering examples, that you contextualize them both in the geology and the setting that you're looking at, but also in the regulatory and state practice at surface and within the supply chain. It is very important in understanding how they occurred. Next slide. Just to try and give some picture, if I asked you to, in your mind, think of a car aerial and you snapped it and turned it upside down, you start with a very wide borehole, you drill down, 
uh, in, a, in a thinner uh, borehole and you line with steel and in the gaps between the steel um, you, you pump cement and so as you put, you start, it should actually be the other way around, but the, the, um, you start wide, you put in the cement, you get narrower and narrower, till down at 8,000 feet of deeper, you're down to five and a half inch, and you've sought to, uh, at each of these stages as you set them, you, you do your pressure integrity checks, you also do uh, cement bond locks, there are various tools that we use to satisfy ourselves that we've constructed that properly. Next slide, please. <coughs> Um, fracking risks causing seismic activity, yes it, it does, um, we've seen um, examples indeed, one example worldwide was caused, two as part of one frack were caused in Lancashire. Why did that occur? Well that, firstly, if you actually look to fracking induced uh, earthquakes or seismic events, whatever you want to, to name them as, they're actually really um, probably just around 10 or, or 12 events that have been direct, directly linked to the act of pumping uh, and, and undertaking the operation. And the reason that if you haven't done 3D seismic, which at that point in time in Lancashire they hadn't, you wouldn't have identified, we know it's just to cover, we are now required before any flat operation is done to have undertaken 3D seismic to use that as the picture of the stresses and strains and faults within the underground. Because it is an important picture. If you drill a horizontal and you are too close to a natural fracture that is under stress and you pump water, you can uh, cause it to be lubricated and to slide and to cause uh, a greater than normal uh, seismic event. Not necessarily felt, but it, but it is there. What you will get a picture of in Google is seismic events, particularly in a state, uh, Oklahoma, which is landlocked and the produced water that they were producing not just from shale but also from conventional oil and gas they weren't trucking it out to dispose of treatment dispose of it instead they were allowed for a while to drill uh, wells disposal wells and pump that produced fluid into other geological formations and what did it do when it, when you're pumping it too high or too much it seeks out those stress faults and has caused seismic activity in some areas of uh, particularly stressed geology in Oklahoma. But it's related to that waste disposal and a practice that uh, is not required here because of the, the treatment that you can do um, and we're not landlocked um, in that respect. And also um, because of those seen issues, it, it won't be allowed uh, in the environment agency sense. We... Um, sorry to interrupt you. Can we move on to Q&A soon? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think we're just about done, actually. Oh, yeah. we, I'm sure this will be asked. But that picture of um, earthquakes that occur around us every day, BGS record, um, you can go and look that up. Those seismic events happening in the UK constantly. How many years is that? How many years? In, in the UK, in total, I, do you know, I, I'm not actually sure. I, it's a few I, years, isn't it? Um, but you, you see 25 to 100 occur naturally uh, every year. But it is, that's, I think it's probably over a 40 year monitoring period. Yes, it would, be, would be about right, is that? Um, ne next slide, I'll, um, I'll speak to the peer review piece in the Q&A. Ne next piece, Public Health England report you can go and have a look at as well. Next slide, please. Um, next slide, I think one, one of the things is just there's no guarantee that any industrial practice is 100% safe. So anybody standing in front of you saying that um, 
you know, that there is 100% guarantee that there is no potential for spillage uh, is incorrect. What is important is that the, the, the barriers that are put in place through those different areas of risk and the design uh, is central and these are some of those that, that check us. Next. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the piece really on 100% guarantee um, when we enjoy things that power and provide in our lives. The next slide, please. Um, Royal Society Report is another one you can go and have a look at. Next slide. Um, next slide. And then, really, we, we will keep coming back. That is the summary of what we at a macro level, at a, a local level. I'll speak in the QA. Uh, really, I do appreciate the opportunity to, to speak and, um, and the manner in which I've been met. The next slide, please, Gordon, is simply we put a lot on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, and um, we try to put everything out there, including presentations and all of this material. So, you know, I, I'd encourage you just to follow that as well, and please do email us any questions after the event. Thank you. That's wonderful, thank you. Well, that presentation will be able to have a copy of that. Yes, I can do that. Thanks, Jim. Tom, given that. Tom, I'm so sorry. Liz Sandiford, I'm on the working group for Fraudulent Town Council and also a member of Fraudulent Hansby Frankfurt. Given that there's a moratorium, Tom, on fracking in Scotland, Wales, and most of Europe, and that all the political parties, save the Conservatives, oppose fracking. Do you not regard such planned developments as you have in store for us and investment as completely inappropriate? So um, people continue to use the products that we, we make. Um, we're a business that employs 4,500 people in the UK. We have a responsibility to them and the supply chain to ensure um, that uh, our business continues to function. For all the reasons that I've set up, we, we think that uh, actually this is a proper resource that needs to be responsibly developed if we're going to continue to use it. Um, uh, and from our perspective, there is a huge effort required um, to move beyond some of the scaremongering and politics around this to actually address real risks and issues and build public confidence through the operational practice and through baseline monitoring to try and build the confidence that actually the environmental harm or concerns are, are not occurring and that, that needs to be done before, during and after. And that type of monitoring is the sort of thing around the table with a community liaison group that we can start to put in place. Um, but in, in many of these areas um, there has been um, no other issue I think that has attracted such attention. Fracking I think is a horrible word. It's a slang word from the site that is... Nothing to do with the word, Tom. It has attracted a huge amount of attention. And, um, and actually, the, what has come out and, and has not been spoken to properly is the manner in which incidents have occurred and actually how they can be dealt with. And I, uh, you know, that, that is my response to the question. Yeah, a gentleman in the check shirt in the back of the yeah. Do you remember to say your name, please? Yeah, my name is Steve Orman from Mickle Chocolate. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a cross-party working group in Chester, um, which you were part of, and I guess were part of. Um, at, that, at that meeting a couple of years ago, it was said that um, if there's no social licence to drill, you'll happily walk away. 
Um, since then, we've had numerous surveys in Mickle Trafford around this area. Regularly shows 70% plus, um, you know, that fracking isn't wanted. So at what stage are you going to be walking away? So maybe the, the counter to that, Steve, would be to say to you that um, to shoot um, 250, uh, 250 square kilometres in East Midlands, we've managed to do um, some 700 plus land deals in just over four months um, to access that, that we've managed to put in place constructive community liaison groups with some groups who are opposed, but who are willing to work uh, with the science. And also, I would say to you, in the Cheshire area, we um, have, uh, in, in IGAS, undertaking that shoot, they did 900 plus land deals in a three month period and I'm undertook sure. that size. I'm sure land, I'm sure land deals so, with individuals so, is, is all very well, but I'm talking about communities. I'm not talking about and, in, in deals and with individuals, I'm talking about whole provinces. And indeed, when we go to the Cheshire Show, uh, or we meet up, we go to the Cheshire Show. <laughs> And, and you know, on, on families' days, people are coming past, and it's some voiced us that you should be getting on with it, right? So not every voice is a policy. I can only share with you what my experience is. Clearly, there are rooms of people with so, the same views you see, but actually not so everybody holds You clearly don't recognise the surveys as a company. You don't recognise the surveys which have been done independently and very far. What, what we have said all along is that we will work to build social license by <coughs> working along those processes of science that are set up by turning up and explaining our business, explaining how we're managing it, and explaining it against the regulatory backdrop. And we will do that. Uh, we're committed to doing it. Every time I've been invited to come along and speak, I have done and I'll continue to. So, you know, we will work to build social license by disproving some of the things that are worrying people, and that, that's how we're set about it. Gentlemen in the striped shirt, if you forget to say your name, please. Thank you. And Andrew Madison, Professor at Salford University, but I'm not representing the university. Um, some time ago, uh, INEOS presented at the uh, previous MP's um, uh, consultation on fracking, and I asked the question about leakages. Yeah. And uh, at the time, I was very disappointed that INEOS said, well, we don't know how much methane is leaked. Um, it's, it's a concern because, of course, as everyone knows, methane is a much more powerful uh, climate change gas than carbon dioxide. So leakage, rather than, rather than burning it, is a real problem. Yeah. And I was very disappointed that Ineos said they didn't know what the figure was. I asked if it was less than 2.5%, and Ineos said, uh, well, it's definitely a lot less than 2.5%. I then looked at the, uh, did some research and found that it was actually 10% leakage. Um, various articles uh, and so on, scientific articles and so on. Um, can you, do, what, do you know, now know what leakage you figure you would have and uh, on what basis you would uh, question this 10%? Okay. So, Again, as I'm sure you'll agree as a professor, contextualising where you're pulling that data from is very important, um, and contextualising it against the regulatory backdrop in which leakage has occurred is important. Just as an aside before I cover the percentages, the, the report that you'll be speaking to and the reports that I think you'll be speaking to are US-based reports. Um, they're based in states that are not necessarily, they don't necessarily have regulatory guidelines about uh, well integrity in terms of 
assessing it and, and ensuring that you have it through the different stages of drilling. And also don't necessarily have regulations about abandonment and the standard to which a well has been abandoned. The reason I say that, if I encourage you if you're part of this working group to go and pull off Durham's, Durham University's refined study, which actually looked at well. Oh, are they funded by? Sorry, do they funded by? Are they getting more from the oil and gas industry? Durham? Can you please answer? Let me okay. just finish it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will answer your question, but I'll do yeah, chair. Right, I'm, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, but I'm, yeah, no, I'm happy to answer the question, but I won't be interrupted, right? Yeah. Um, I'll answer your question honestly, because I know the answer, but I'm answering this question first. Thank you. Um, so if you look at those US, but that's where you see somewhere between six and ten percent, depending on what type of wells they've looked at. Not all are unconventional, some are conventional. Uh, oil and gas from, uh, from gas from different types of reservoir setting. So the, the first comparison look at the Durham uh, refined project is, is one, um, uh, as the gentleman was asked at the back, um, okay. the refunding that refine received, and it's publicly on their website, it was from industry, so it was placed into a pocket, because no, no one else can pay for this type of research, so we, we INEOS and others, gave uh, money to a group and they we, we put in issues that we were wrestling with with communities and said to them that you please pick subjects that you can uh, address they one of the subjects they picked was well leakage and so they produced a report looking at well leakage in the UK against the UK's well stock and the next piece just as you review that you have to look at is technology over time, so the leakage that you get from a well drilled 60 years ago with a different technology versus leakage that you're getting today, uh, or, or you know, 20, even 20 years ago, is a very different set of, of picture. And, and in, in that case, um, the refined study uh, ends by saying that the, those leakage rates that they found were sub 1% uh, leakage, I'm pretty certain. So the the other, the other piece then is just um, well integrity. Is, you know, that, that is an important piece uh, of it. And the abandonment <coughs> aspect of how you abandon a well or, or decommission a well is you know, actually opening up um, the different zones at the point of uh, bringing it to decommissioning. You open up the steel, you pump cement in, and uh, you seal and isolate at different uh, zonal levels. And, and that's you know, some of the techniques and practices that are required. When we design a well uh, in the UK and have it assessed, we're required to put in place design from first construction through to its decommission uh, in the future. I agree. Can we stay to the topic, please? Gentlemen in the baseball pit at the back. Thank you very much. Are we agreed that Sorry, can you say your name, please? Sorry, my name's Gaze Pratma. My house was damaged by an earthquake by a quadrilla. Mm -hmm. I live in Lancashire. I've been fighting this with the evidence, not scaremongering. We've had, all, we've had that thrown at us. And I think you said use the same terminology to the people in Scotland when they got called bed methane and you're saying the same sort of presentations. They proved it was going to be damaging. You're doing the same sort of presentations tonight. Can I ask you a question? Are you a better company than Quadrilla? Because Quadrilla are using the same HSC, the same environment agency. They've had problems on every single site, and the environment agent, the HSC, 
Are you saying that they, you're a better company, Andrella, because they've had problems on every single well. Right now, we've got breaches of conditions laid down by Sajid Chabi to be allowed to get away with. Will the council have to have the, uh, the capacity to know what you're doing? And also, are you, are you, uh, why should we have confidence in the health and safety executive and the environment agency when the health and safety executive did not visit the pre-sold farm well when it had the earthquake on April the 1st to the day of its abandonment? The agency never visited that site. So how can you stand there and say that we've got gold standard regulation? And are you a better company than Quadrilla if you can alter the environment agency and the HSE and the councils to make sure they do their job? Are you a better company than Quadrilla? So, it's not a... Let me... Uh, are you a better company? I'm, I'm not, I'm not. That's not a question, Gizu. You, you know, it was nice to meet you first, uh, for the first time. I know I've offered to meet you, uh, I've offered to meet you before. Can you just please ask but I'm sorry, 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 i am any of the 3D, or which is now required, or, or the vertical uh, well to build up that picture of data. That is our approach. And it is markedly different to the manner in which others are approaching it. Um, but the reason that we are is because we think it provides a solid basis on which to progress down understanding some of the uh, natural fracture systems much more clearly, to taking the samples, to sitting around the table and discussing why those things um, give us different paths and um, to ultimately deciding ourselves first that a fact can be conducted uh, safely. So look, I'm not going to speak to the behaviours uh, of others. All I can say is we, we run a complex uh, petrochemical sites around the UK. We, we've done so. Um, and, and you've been fined many times as well. And, uh, yeah. we, we, and, it, and it is raised with me, yeah. It is. Can I can address that as well. But I'll just ask one, one question to address that. We, we have a one sole farm by Please retract that Spermongrid. We want my own not Spermongrid.ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとう
that local shale gas is much better for the environment, and that's why we want to do it. But you're quite happy to import gas from America? Because it's cheap. It's not out of morals or anything, is it? Or caring for the environment. It's, it's to get cheap gas for the business. Start at the beginning and work my way through. Right, okay. Bullion yeah. people okay. to get so, access so, to their land and social yeah. rights. So, let me speak to that then. So, any, anything we have around us, be it any utility that is of wider advantage to the community, be it water, be it gas, be it electricity, be it radio mats, all of those have. Um, provisions within uh, the various acts that afford for the right of access more widely um, to, to get on to, to put those things in place. The logic being that no one uh, person should be able to stop something that is of um, wider benefit potentially, and energy is one of those things. So where we have pipelines to our homes to supply gas or national pipelines, you know, those, those have been there. So within the Petroleum Act, those powers do exist. They exist under a provision called the Mines Working Facilities Support Act. And when we go to meet the, when we go to meet landowners, they have typically land agents representing their interests. Those land agents know the provisions that are there and they advise their clients that actually those provisions are there and that, that they should it, it is a better professional thing that's, that's to reach a decision. To allow you to use the so land. The, the next so the ones that aren't. Yeah. So I will cover the National Trust yeah. piece. Yeah. Um, so the National Trust um, have a large area on uh, the geology. The, mm. Those licenses are a national license which we've made obligations to government to fulfil uh, technical evaluation. So we 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 don't pay. We pay when it's successful in the production revenue, but at this stage we're investing the money in that. We make those obligations to government to fulfil advancing the nation's knowledge of its resource, like in the same way the coal board did once. And when when we've got to the National Trust, part of building that picture, both technically, commercially, and environmentally, to satisfy yourself, is getting that picture of the underground. There are plenty of rules govern where seismic is positioned and, and what standoffs have to be applied to designations. We have ecologists out working with our teams daily. But in the case of the National Trust, our view has been that government policy is that natural gas is important for the next while and that we've made those obligations to, to fulfill uh, that we require to fulfill. And it is not, we can't, we can't have a conversation with every single person who is against natural gas, which is the, the if you read the National Trust statement, it has not been that they are opposed um, seismic evaluation because they've had it done on their land for coal in the past. They've made a statement that they are. Yeah. You know, no, if you read the statement, it says. If you read the statement, it says that they are a, as a they have a policy position against continuing fossil fuels, not against they've seismic. They've seismic survey and any hydraulic fracturing on their land is a, a tweet that they put out. For, for the reasons that they have a policy position against continuing fossil fuel, if you read the whole mm -hmm. statement. Okay, can we My concerns are, I'm a, I'm a public health nurse and, my, and it's the health risks that really mm. that I, that I focus on. And, and I know um, Looking at the regulatory bodies that you've already mentioned, the HSC Environment Agency, 
certainly the environment agencies think are, are under-resourced and we'll have to look at what's happening with regard to flooding. Um, you know, it's not been... So what, what concerns me is when looking at operation integrity, when things are up and running, correct me if I'm wrong, but I um, understand that it will be, although we've got the, these regulatory bodies in place, it won't unless they won't be independent inspectors who are looking at like, operation integrity. Yeah. They're people from within the industry, and that that concerns me a little bit. Yeah. So, would, would you like me to address that? Yes, please. So we, we would agree with you in that um, actually the, the the system of regulation in the UK is self-regulation effectively. So there are laws you're held to those laws by fines or by uh, you can't have random inspection, of course, but. Um, ultimately, you can't have an inspector on every industrial site of risk, and so you, you have to have a, other means of keeping things in check and, and managing it. The issue in this case, where something's established and people are well used to it and don't have the, the concerns that relate to what's proposed in terms of uh, shale gas, we, we've actually been asking them, because we hear it time and time and again in communities where people are saying, we don't, we're not satisfied at this early stage with the self-regulation piece. We'd like to see scrutiny. We'd also like to see baseline monitoring you know, of, of the things that are fundamental in terms of the hazard you know, pathway and receptor, which you'll be familiar with as a public health professional. And so how do we build that? We do it through baseline monitoring, through before, during, and after. But the issue being, it's the same way I was asked on another question, you know, who funded a piece of data gathering, well of course it's us that have to fund the data gathering. So we need to find a way, we've asked government, we've said there is a real issue when we're talking to communities, even with people who are saying, look I understand we use gas, but I still have concerns. There, all people are hearing is austerity measures, and they want, they want to see that there is a very visible and constant scrutiny of our stages of operation, particularly drilling and fracking, um, such that they're, they're satisfied. So. If, if you are making that appeal to an MP, it's, it's one that we're on record consistently making, which is we think this is a real public confidence issue uh, and needs to be dealt with. Can we? So, so we're, we're in that place because of what we're hearing. In the long term, if you build public confidence, will it require somebody there every day? Well, I would argue not. But. I think in these early stages, given you know, the obvious feeling in rooms like this. I think we're, we're running out of time now, so we're going to have to I'll take a couple more questions from people who haven't already spoken. And then if you've got any further questions, if you put them to Hazel, and Hazel can forward them on to Tom. Gentleman in the blue shirt. Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Charles Miller, and I've been in the drilling and well control industry for 27 years. So I'm from the inside. And there are a lot of concerns. I've just been up visiting my daughter and just called in. But there are a lot of concerns you haven't addressed, and they are the serious ones that need to be addressed. Public liability. Now, in the UK, it's a lot different. We've just seen what happened at Grenville Towers. That ought to tell you a lot about regulation in the UK, just to start with. Yeah. Now, yeah. Fracking is a new industry in the UK, and we don't have an established uh, regulation in the UK. And so we have a great deal of concerns about that. But public, let's start with public liability. A small company like Ineos isn't the size of BP, and look at the liability they were involved in. Now, whether you can cover public liability in a country like this on something that goes wrong would be very questionable indeed. And that's, that's a serious point that needs addressing, because I doubt whether you'll be insured to cover that liability. 
especially with something that's coming into, into this country, which is quite new. Now, we have got fracking in the conventional industry, but that's a whole different thing altogether. Yeah. We're drilling inside closed reservoirs, not in open fracture. In the industry, we have typical failure rates of 6 to 7% uh, on well bores. That's in the first three years. Mm -hmm. It's 60% in 30 years and 100% over time. That's all well bored, irrespective. Yeah. And yeah. so, geology is not stable. <laughs> A depth of about two, two and a half miles, which you've uh, already got on there, thank you. Uh, when you're drilling to that depth and leaving it over time, and you're, the inside of that well bore is about four and a half inches, when the time it reaches the bottom, two and a half miles long, to expect that to remain for any length of time, going up through your, your water aquifers, is unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Now, in the conventional drilling industry, we don't drill very many holes because the fluids, oil and gas, flow towards the well bore. But in fracking, they don't, and that's why they have to be cracked and fractured to get the, the material out. And there is no impermeable capping to trap anything that goes wrong. So the migration upwards will take time, and it will take time before it's discovered. We have serious problems about uh, the stability over time with geology. And we saw a short while ago that Iceland is splitting in three, the volcanic thing that brought all the airplanes around them. Now that sort of Instability is going on all the time. We've got tectonic plate shift going on all the time. I do actually give talks on this subject, by the way. And so there are just there are quite a few other concerns that I'm very seriously concerned are not being aired in this sort of meeting. You're presenting very much one side, and I think really the council deserves to hear some of the serious concerns that we in the industry have. The public liability piece, we do carry public liability. The particular example of BP that you used, the reason that it hit them is because they did self-insurance. So when they had a failure, they had to dig out of their own coffers, whereas we carry uh, public liability insurance, environmental liability insurance uh, for the long term uh, as part of our business within the public markets. And so that's where it is absorbed if an event occurred. The, the next piece, I'm, I mean, obviously, you've drilled lots of wells uh, in your time. But some of what you point to in terms of base physics, if, as you described, that that rock is impermeable, you would understand that there wouldn't be gas present because it would have migrated away from that over time. So your contention that a seal is not present, uh, either by means of impermeable trap or by means of sealed fracture network, it, it just doesn't stand up to physics scrutiny. It, it does. I understand fracking and I understand shale. Well, then now, it's also radioactive. You haven't covered radioactive waste. All formations are, as you will know as a drilling professional, all geology has a level of normally occurring radioactive material. No, no, different. No, no different. To, it is absolutely no different to the We drilling. find shale beds because of its radioactivity. That, can, you find can, any I, can I draw this, this discussion to a conclusion? So, yeah. Sorry, this group has held a presentation from the other side. Um, Washington Town Council has. Yes. Oh, sorry, yes, it's Town Council. Um, so the, the purpose tonight was for the industry to come and talk to us. Um, I think one more question. The lady in the lime green, thank you. If you say your name, please. Yeah, my name is Louis Newhall. I'm a chartered landscape architect and uh, 
used to doing uh, landscape and visual impact assessments, had a smile before in your picture of how it's going to go. <laughs> uh, I do apologise, it's going to be on film. Um, I've got two points really. First of all, it's all very well having public liability insurance and any other sort of insurance, but public liability insurance does not bring fresh water when the water has been contaminated. And that really brings me on to my next point about it not all being about the money. You said that we need gas at this level for things we want and need. And I would suggest there's a massive elephant in this room. Where's the truth? Yes. Who needs this stuff? Who's telling we us are that we need this Who is telling us that we need this stuff? In terms of where the trash. I look around the room and I'm being filmed with I'm more spots on this than because I cannot stand in more time. You put me in. <laughs> I, would, I would like, you are showing the theme park Tom called Tom Beckering's theme park World of Fracking. Because your world is completely different from my world, everybody else's world, Jim Brown,
sure. Thank you very much. Thank you. And as I say, we'll organise another meeting to do business side of, of the working group because we need to identify a chairman and a deputy chairman. We need to agree terms of reference for the group. And I would ask you all to look at the draft terms of reference that have gone out. They're not fixed. You know, we want it to be your group as well, but we want to make sure that we get the parish councils here because that's the important thing, isn't it, as well? Um, so it's not just. We've got these lunch bombs here. We've got one, yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you.